Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Father, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, give us, give the Lord one more hand. This is amazing. Thank you so much for leading us. Well, we have a fun treat this morning. I want to introduce you our very own Trey Corey. Uh, he is our campus pastor here at Southwood, and uh, he normally plays across the street, but he has graciously come over uh, this morning to share with us. And we are starting a new series uh, this week, and Trey's going to kick us off um, called Different. And we're going to look at three main categories of how we are supposed to live differently. One, one is with our work, secondly with our words, and lastly, how our world should look different that we live in. And he's going to kick us off with our work. So uh, without further ado, Trey Corey, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Kevin, thank you for the introduction, and it is a joy to get to be with you guys here. I'll tell you, as a campus pastor here at Southwood, we have been praying for our college ministries move over to here at Consol for over a year, and so it is a joy to get to see this fall unfold, to get to see you guys to be a part of it, and we're excited, and I'm excited to get to be with you this morning on a topic that is really passionate for me. We're going to talk this morning about the topic of work and the integration of our faith with work. As we do that, I recognize for many of you guys that your great search, your great desire as you graduate college is that you would find a job. Your parents are even more excited about that, all right? Uh, But the reality, though, is for those of those of us that are in the workforce, there are a few realities of the workforce that as much as you're trying to search to find a job, there are way more people who are in the workforce now that are dreaming and fantasizing about what would it look like if they quit their job in the most dramatic way possible and just walked off and told it to the man, all right? Wow. Lively this morning. I love it. To that end, Fallon, uh, Jimmy Fallon of The Tonight Show, one of my personal favorites, did a hashtag bit a little while ago called hashtag how I quit. And what he does here, he's going to have a series of people who are going to tweet in as to exactly how they first quit their job as they walked out the day of. All right. Here's a few examples of some of my favorites. Here's the first one for you. The guy dramatically slammed his work ID down on the table and then walked into the glass door on his way out. <laughs> I'm just thinking, however he played that in his mind, and just kind of slam it out, walk out, and just boom, that's probably not what he was thinking was going to happen that day, right? Or how about this one? Before I left, I set my boss's computer so that every time he typed his name, it changed to, I like ponies, (laughs) which I personally thought, if you have that kind of ability to hack into someone's computer, of all the things you could have done, that's probably not what I would have done, all right? I don't think that really tells it to the man, per se. Or this one I like. Uh, I sent an edible arrangement to my boss with a note that said, I quit. Eat me, all right? And I was like, that's, that's pretty creative. I like that. I'm working with that. Or how about this one? I told my boss I'm quitting to pursue my dream of not working here. I don't know how many times you've been in a romantic breakup where you said, it's not me, it's you, when really, it actually, it wasn't me, it actually was you, and in this case, it's a work version of, no, no, the problem isn't on my side, it's I want nothing to do with you, all right? Or this last one I liked, a uh, person said, my boss said, see you Monday, and I said, you will, I, you will if you're on the beach in Cancun, because he was peacing out, and that was it, and he wasn't coming back. There are so many people in the workforce that dream and fantasize because they hate their job, and so they dream and fantasize about what would it be like if they just quit in the most dramatic fashion possible. 
Statistics and studies show that as you look at the workforce, if you were to do surveys of the workforce that is out there that's employed, about 30% of the workforce actually enjoys their job, finds purpose in it, and finds significance in it. 70% of the workforce is actively disengaged in their job. They don't like it. They don't wake up wanting to do it. And about 20% of that 70 actually admits to the fact that they are trying to actively undermine the job itself. A historian, uh, Studs Terkel, which by the way, before you hear his quote, if I could have been named Studs, that would have made life so much better, right? He says this, that most people live somewhere between a grudging acceptance of their job and an active dislike of it. That for most people in the workforce, at least 70% of those that are employed, they live somewhere between an active dislike of their job and a grudging acceptance of it. Most people are just going through the motion, so to speak. In fact, it's fascinating. I think if you think back to the TV show, The Office, which for many of you, you've probably uh, have uh, at some point along the way watched or done reruns of, why is it that everyone loved that show? Are the characters absolutely hilarious and sarcastic? Yes, right? But I think it also touched on a core experience for most people in the workforce, which is this, that their bosses are incompetent, their coworkers are idiots, and they think that what they're doing makes no difference whatsoever in the world, all right? Now, if you don't feel encouraged about graduating and stepping in the workforce today, I don't know what would make you feel encouraged, all right? But here's the reality of that is that this is in the midst of what I think is a common experience for most people in the workforce. The church has been absolutely silent on the topic of work. For you guys that are graduating in whatever, however many months or years that may be, how many of you are the class of 19? All right. Your parents are excited about you graduating as well. All right. But for however many of you are graduating or for how many of you are looking for an internship this summer? How many of you? Raise your hand. All right. So, so many of you are graduating. So many of you guys are looking for an internship. Every one of you, though, at some point is looking for the job. And the reality is that for us as a church, we've often been silent on the topic of work. How in the world does our faith in Jesus Christ integrate to and relate to our work and one day our future vocation? That's what I want to talk about this morning because my hope for you is that your experience in the workforce will not look the same way that it looks like for the most and the majority of the workforce. My hope for you is that as you step into the workforce as a man or a woman of faith, that you are maneuvering through your presence in a workplace environment will look markedly different than everyone else. That your response to authorities, that your response to coworkers, your response to the tasks that you've been called to as well, will all look profoundly different. Why and how? What I want to do for you this morning, if we're going to get there, is I want to establish two things for you. I want to show you the design of work as God designed it. And secondly, I want to show you the dignity that God has bestowed on work. That's where I want to go with us this morning. I want you to see the design of work as God designed it and created it. And then secondarily, I want you to see the dignity of work as that which God designed and the dignity that he bestowed on it. Because when you and I can grasp the design of work as God intended it and the dignity that God bestowed upon work, all of a sudden I think you and I have a different attitude toward work and a different approach of work that begins to give us an opportunity to look different and to stand different in the workplace with amongst of our peers who may or may not have faith. That's where I want us to go this morning. That's what I want you guys to grasp as we walk out this morning. So how are we going to do that? If you have your Bibles, open to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to begin in the beginning of the story of the scriptures back in the book of Genesis, the very beginning of your Bibles. And I want to pick it up in Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Genesis 2, beginning in verse 1. And what I want you to see as we begin the creation narrative is I want you to see the design of work. How exactly did God design work? What did he intend for it to be? Genesis 2, chapter 1. Or Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their host. 
By the seventh day, God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all of his work which God had created and made. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, the creation narrative highlights really what is essentially the very first ever work week. The very first ever work week was God's work. Genesis 2 could not have been more clear, repeatedly saying that God worked, of which highlight and clarify exactly the kind of work that God did. Multiple, multiple times we see that God created, that he created, that he made things, and then he separated them out. He formed things, he gathered things, he placed things. Then in Genesis 1, Genesis 2, the creation narrative gives us the first example of a work week. He worked six days and he rests one day. In fact, as you walk through Genesis 1 Genesis 2, the other thing that you see is that there's a repetition of that, that God worked and everything that he did as he looked out on it, he declared that it was good. Genesis 1 Genesis 2 is the very first ever work week that we see ever in the scriptures and with a resounding clarification that it was good. The work was good. One of my favorite quotes and one of my favorite books on this topic is one from Tim Keller, a book called Every Good Endeavor. And here's what Keller says in the book. He says, in the beginning, then God worked. Work was not a necessary evil that came into the picture later or something human beings were created to do, but but that was beneath the great God himself. No, no, no. No, God worked for the sheer joy of it. Work could not have had a more exalted inauguration. That as we think about work and what God intended work to be, we get a beautiful picture of all that God intended. The work got a beautiful start because God works and then as God works and he creates Adam and Eve, he's going to then invite Adam and Eve and all of humanity into the great task and the great calling known as work. He's going to commission Adam and Eve. Pick it up again in Genesis 1 verse 26, a a section that many of you may be familiar with. But notice, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So creepy. I love it. Verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Genesis 1 and 2. God creates every living thing. Then he creates Adam and Eve as the pinnacle of creation. And after God works, he then invites Adam and Eve into the great task and the great calling of work. The verbs that we highlight for you in terms of the things that Adam and Eve are going to do from Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, frankly, if you were to think about the work that they're going to do, it's very agricultural in nature. And they were to tend to a garden, essentially. But as you think about whatever degree, whatever vocation, whatever career field that you're trying to step to, I could take your career field and I could take your task and I could put them into these verbs. The context looks different, but you're doing the same kind of thing. That you're bringing rule and bringing order into some kind of vocational arena that you're creating, sometimes not necessarily out of nothing, but you're taking that which has been created and forming it in different ways or bringing it to a different purpose at times. That in whatever kind of career or vocational task that you're looking at, it has a parallel and a model back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. The very first work week was God's. It was designed by God. Work its image and in his own image, he then invites Adam and Eve into the great task and the great calling of work. And he invites them into this task. I think for many of us, as we think about the world, especially as we think about vocation and work, I think you and I have a compartmentalized view of the world. I think for so many of us, we kind of separate things that are sacred and of God and things that are secular and maybe not of God. We kind of divide things into that which is sacred and that which is secular. And what I want to do for you as we think about vocation is I want to jumble it all up. In order to do that, I want to highlight a book called The Search for God in Guinness, as in Guinness Beer, all right? 
So let me just say, as you go home to mom and dad this afternoon, and they ask you how church went, or not as you go home, as they call you, maybe don't say, hey, our pastor told me I should go make a beer company, all right? (laughs) But there's context, okay? But in this book, uh, the author is going to highlight the approach of Arthur Guinness when it came to beer. And here's what the author says, okay? Stephen Mansfield, he says, what Arthur Guinness founded was a venture propelled by faith. Yes, but by a kind of faith that inspires men to make their work in this world an offering to God. To understand craft and discipline, love of labor, it was a venture of faith. Much of the great 250-year history of Guinness beer is a story in which wealth gained through. Here's a man that had a vision for beer and went about and created a company that was fueled and directed and undergirded by a faith that stepped into the workplace and stepped into the beer industry. I think for us, the reason why I wanted to throw this quote to you guys is because I think we have such a dichotomous view of the world, that which is sacred and that which is secular. And as you think about work, as you think about vocation, as you think about your future and what God's calling you to, some of you may be called to mission, some of you guys may be called into vocational church ministry or work, and that's great. 98% of you aren't going to be called in that direction, nor should you be, because God's going to call you as a man or woman of faith to step into a career and an industry and to look and to walk different to step into that career with a different approach with a different attitude with a different mindset that will drive the way that you live it out and that you're called to step into that place missionally as one sent and commissioned into that industry to represent jesus christ and to walk through and to impact that industry in a profoundly different kind of way God designed work and has called Adam and Eve and all of humanity into it in whatever vocational arena that you feel led, that you're passionate about. That work was designed by God, and since he designed it, the second thing we're going to see is that it has inherent dignity. That it has inherent dignity seen in two different ways. So look back at Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, you're going to see two different facets that I think uniquely highlight the dignity of work. The first is creativity. I'll tell you guys, I, by nature, feel like I'm one of the most uncreative people known to man, all right? I just don't feel creative, all right? We used to have a team here at the church that was called the creative. We made the point that there were some who were creative and there were some who were not creative, all right? I don't know if you naturally feel like you were a creative individual or not, but one of the things I want you to see this morning is that every single one of us, as those that were created in the image of God, is creative in whatever unique kind of way that we find our creativity come unleashed. If we look back in Genesis, what we find from the very beginning is that in Genesis 3, God will take the natural order and he will form something brand new out of it known as clothes. Uh, Adam and Eve and humanity coming in Genesis 4 and Genesis 9 will take the natural created elements and they will create something new that hadn't existed before as they make music, as they create tools, and as they create wine, all right? The beer reference and a wine reference, all right? I'm going to get in all kinds of trouble this morning, all right? But here's the deal. As we look at the Genesis narrative, God creates, he works, and out of his work, we see great creativity. He invites Adam and Eve into that great task, and we see creativity come out left and right as well. That they're making and taking the natural order, forming it, refashioning it, creating something new out of it that wasn't there before. That every single one of you, as you step into a career and an industry, it's going to be an outlet for you in terms of creativity in some form or fashion. Maybe you're not necessarily, and obviously you're not necessarily, that you will create new things out of, in terms of a new way to do, go about doing something. But every single one of us has an opportunity in our creational, in our vocational arenas for creativity. I love it the way uh, that philosopher Al Walters put it like this, when he said that the earth had been completely unformed and emptied in the beginning. And in the six-day process of development, God had formed it and filled it, but not completely. 
As soon as it says when God first created that everything was formless and void, the spirit just hovered over. And so what happens over the next six days is that God brings structure and he brings order to that which he had created. But he didn't do it completely because people must now carry on the work of development. By being fruitful, they must fill it even more. By subduing it, they must form it even more. As God's representatives, we carry on where God left off. God, in a sense, created the world with a a set of resources and fundamental uh, elements and assets that you and I have an opportunity in whatever vocational arenas that we step into often to create, restructure, and form in new kinds of ways. I think there's something that appeals to our creativity in every single one of us. And I think we sometimes see it, maybe not necessarily by our vocations, but we often see it by our games that we choose. All right. Uh, My boy is now six. Uh, Somewhere along the way, I made the mistake this fall of highlighting and introducing him not to Fortnite, all right, Uh, but to Minecraft. Okay. And so I will promise you, he, if I wanted to watch football this afternoon and hand him an iPad, he could probably spend about eight hours on Minecraft. Okay. Why? He loves to step into a made-believe world and just create out of nothing and fight in little animals that are weird or right. It's just kind of crazy. It goes on. He could go on for hours. When I was a kid, some of you table hosts will remember this. My first game I ever got into was SimCity. I could go and you could create a whole other world, okay? I love Settlers of Catan. I love Civilizations. I love all these games that you can step into and you can create out of nothing. Some of you guys have gotten into Fortnite. You don't want to call it that it's an addiction, but it is. It's all right. We can admit it. But there's something about destroying and creating and creating a world and tailoring it to your purposes and what you want to do. That we love that kind of thing because there's something that was, I think, there in the very nature of the fact that we're in the image of God. That there's something about us that delights in creativity, that loves to shape, that loves to create. It's in every single one of us. And as we step into our vocational arenas with the opportunity to create, there's something about the dignity of work that's seen. But frankly, as we think about work and creativity, the second thing that I think we're going to see is not just creativity that shows the dignity of work, but also competency. That it is your competency in your field that you'll step into one day, in your job that you'll step into one day, that will provide a platform to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things I've noticed as I was in college ministry for about eight years is that for many of you guys that are of faith, that are walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, for some reason it was Christians who stepped into their group projects in school that were the worst team members. Why? I think for some reason, for men and women of faith, as we walk through college, we begin to think that there's something in this temporal world that doesn't demand our best. And what I want to say to you, as you think about vocation, career, and work, that right now your vocation is a student. And as you step into a group project, as you step into the classroom, as you step into school itself, which is your vocational arena, it demands your best. And to give it something less than your best is to not walk by faith and to not honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 says, Whatever you do, which again I love because the idea is don't have a sacred, don't dichotomize the world into sacred and the secular. So whatever you do, whatever work you're going to have, whatever vocational world you're going to step into, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. I love that phrase there, heartily, because it literally, the Greek is exuke. It literally means out of the soul. How are you to work, whether you're a student now or whether you're in a vocational arena one day, you're to work literally as out of your soul. That it's not a separate, denigrated piece of your life, but it is a very, very platform by which you can offer worship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, do it with excellence. Do it with all that you have. And as you do that, you have an opportunity to honor the Lord Jesus Christ in it. 
Second idea for you that I think highlights and pushes us toward competency in our vocation is that our vocation provides us an opportunity to love our city and to benefit society. That one of the most significant ways that you're going to have an opportunity as you graduate to impact the city and the community that you're going to step into is going to be through not necessarily your charity, but through your vocation. That your career, your vocational opportunities will provide one of the most strategic ways for you to love the city and to benefit the society that you're going to step into and be a part of actively. I love 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, a passage that's talking about the church needing to love the city, to love the community. Notice what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4. We urge you to excel still more, and the command that was prior to that was to love the community. We want you to excel still more. Well, how, Paul? How is the church supposed to excel still more in love? And he goes on to say, and he says, to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to attend to your own business and work with your hands and not be in any need. See, your vocational opportunities, your vocational arenas will be an opportunity and a platform for you not just to honor the Lord Jesus Christ, but to love the city and to engage and to benefit the society that you step into. Why is that so important? Have you ever thought about work in that kind of manner? Or do you think about work just in the sense of you're going to have an opportunity to make money? That you're going to work so that you can live? I want to flip the script to say maybe God's designed work and granted such dignity to it that maybe it's not so bad for you to live to work. Not in a kind of manner that doesn't have rest, not in a kind of manner that doesn't have boundaries, not in a kind of manner that makes work an idol. But as you can offer the Lord your worship in your work, then maybe you are to bring about a creativity and a competency to it that's really significant. Why does it matter? I'd say as the church engages culture today, I think there's been a massive shift in our cultural context. One of my favorite books is by the Barna Group, a book called Unchurched. And here's what Barna says about our culture today and I think the intersection of faith and work. Here's what he says. 30 years ago, the most effective form of evangelism was widely believed to be a straight out, in your face, confront the sinner declaration of salvation available through Christ. A decade or two ago, evangelism shifted to a focus on personal relationships cultivated with eternity in mind. We believe we're undergoing another shift today wherein doing good in the world is a powerful apologetic to those who are seeking God. Evangelism can happen in the workplace, marketplace where Christian leaders run businesses with a biblical view of people, not taking advantage of them, but aspiring to help them flourish. Evangelism can happen in the social sector where we can show how much Jesus cares about the least of these I think as our culture looks out at the church, I think the question that the culture is asking today is not, what do you believe? I don't think they're even asking, is it necessarily true and can you prove it to me? I think the culture today is asking, what does it matter? I know what you believe. I know what you're often against. I think the culture is asking the church today, what does it matter? What difference does it make in the world at large? And I think today as we engage in social justice, as we engage in the marketplace, as we engage in these other spheres that so intersect with our city and our society, we have an opportunity to look different, to walk different, and especially in the context of the marketplace and the workplace, to walk in a profoundly different kind of way. For some of you, that starts right now this week in the context of school. (laughs) That your primary vocational arena right now is as a student in school. Your authority, your bosses, your teacher, your coworkers, or your classmates, and those that you're doing group projects with. And I think by and large, for some of us, we discount that phase of our life thinking it has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And what I want to say to you is you've dichotomized your world in a way that God doesn't see. 
your vocational arena right now is as a student, which means you have an opportunity for creativity in that place. You have an opportunity for competency in that place. And it's through your creativity, it's through your competency as you pursue your best as God's gifted you, enabled you to serve your professor, to serve your classmates, you have an opportunity to represent Jesus Christ. My question for you this morning is this. How are you representing Christ in the context of school? Is it an apology that you need to make? Is it a course correction you need to make this week as you go toward the end of a semester? Because often it is in context of school that it's the precursor for the context of career. Often your ethic, your diligence in the context of school often shapes and sets up your ethic and your diligence in the context of work. And so the question for me, for you this morning is, how are you walking out school? It's your vocational arena right now. Secondly, I'd say for some of you guys that are headed toward graduation or headed toward internships, as you think about work and career, what would it look like to walk in a profoundly different kind of way? To submit to authorities, to work with your greatest competency, not toward your benefit, but to the benefit of others, and to honor the Lord Jesus Christ in that place. For some of you, as you're thinking about careers and you're thinking about what degree and what vocation you want to choose, I want to challenge you as well to not pursue it on the basis of just what it will compensate you but to pursue it on the basis of the kind of difference you can make in the city and the community at large. For some of us, you may be motivated to pursue a career not on the basis of really what you're most passionate about, but on the basis of what it will compensate you towards. And I will tell you, if you pursue that path, A, it's all about you, and two, you're going to be miserable and unhappy down the road. What would it look like to really wrestle with, Lord, how is it you've gifted me? What is it you've made me passionate for? And where can I be of greatest service to the city and the community at large? Not, how can I make the most money? I graduated in 2001 with a computer engineering degree. I chose it because uh, people were getting giant signing bonuses when I first chose that degree as a freshman and sophomore at A&M back in 97, 98. By the time I graduated, those signing bonuses were all gone. The industry had completely shifted, and all of a sudden I was going, oh dear gosh. <laughs> Clearly I'm not using my computer engineering degree right now. <laughs> okay. But as I walked through that, the Lord continued to kind of move me in a different direction, but I also recognized I stepped toward that for all the wrong reasons at first. I didn't choose it, because I thought it was less holy than ministry. I chose it because God, I chose ministry because God was moving me in that direction. I could see it in the course of time, but not because ministry was more holy or more strategic in any way, shape, or form, but it was just because of what God did in my life. But I just want to ask you, as you think about your degree now, as you think about your vocation where you're pursuing what you want to pursue, I just want to ask why. Why are you pursuing it? What is it that's drawing you there? Is it just what your mom and dad said you'd be good at? <laughs> is it just what you thought would make you the most money? Or is there something inside of you that says, I'm passionate for this and the kind of difference that this career could have in the world at large? Your generation most wants to change the world than any generation that's come before. And you most think it's possible. What I want to say to you this morning is, as you think about vocation, as you think about work, it is going to be one of the most strategic, one of the most impactful platforms that you're going to have the rest of your life. So my question is, how will you use it? Will you use it in a profoundly different kind of way that honors the Lord Jesus Christ, that draws be worship? Let me pray for us this morning. Father God, I thank you for these students. I thank you for their passion for you. I thank you for their passion to impact the world. And Lord, in the context of their faith, in their pursuit of you, and in their passion and their desire to change the world, Lord, I pray that you would allow their vocations to be one of the primary platforms by which that can happen.
But yes, Lord, our charity, our engagement, our generosity can do much in the context of our cities and our community. But Lord, I pray that you'd help them have a different grid for their work. A different grid for their disposition as a student. A different grid for how they think about vocation and career one day. Lord, I pray that you'd shape that view. That you'd redefine it. That you'd give them a whole new paradigm that helps them to see that work is not a result of evil. It's not a curse, but it is a commission of the sovereign God upon us. But that you call us as missionaries into vocations, Lord, I pray that we would represent you, that you would allow us to find great satisfaction, even in the context of broken industries in a broken world. Lord, help us to find a career, help us to find work that would both honor you, that would satisfy us, that would fit our design, and that would allow us to have a great impact in our world for these students as they step towards that, as they begin to think towards that, Lord, I pray that right now as they've navigated as students at Texas A&M or at Blinn, Lord, I pray that you'd allow them to walk in faithfulness to you and great humility to professors and great teamwork with their coworkers or classmates, Lord, and Lord, with competency to learn as faithfully as they can to set them up for a career as you would use them in the future, Lord, that this is a training ground for what you want to do through their careers later on. Lord, help help them to accept that. Help them to lean into that. Help them to humbly serve when no one's paying attention. Uh, In the midst of a library, in the midst of a cubicle, Lord, they would be students with humility. They would learn under your tutelage and under your direction, Lord. We ask for these things this morning. Through your Son, by your Spirit, we pray. Amen. So as we transition into one more song of worship, just proclaiming Jesus as the King of my heart and in every circumstance, whether it's work, school, life. Uh, Table group leaders, you guys can be dismissed. The rest of us, let's just worship together this morning.